you know, I'm older. Maybe I just assumed everyone knew Scooby-Doo uh, intimately like I do. That sounded dirty. This podcast is supported by BattleBards.com. Check out their website for premier tabletop audio and tools for your campaign. Right now, BattleBards is providing a special bonus to our listeners. When making a purchase, get your bonus by using the following codes at checkout. With the $10 and $25 packs, use code RPGA1. With the $50 and $100 packs, use code RPGA2. And with the $150 and $300 packs, use code RPGA3. Battle Bars. Your world deserves to be heard. Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael. And I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, man. Tonight, Michael, I am failing my save versus exhaustion. Well, usually you're the one that keeps me reined in. If you're asleep at the wheel, who knows where this train's going to go? God, this is going to be a terrible show. <laughs> well, we have our standards to live down to, so... Uh, before we get into tonight's topic, though, let's take a quick second to let any of our listeners who may be new uh, know how they can get a hold of us if they would like to leave some questions or comments. Uh, you can reach us via email at podcast at therpgacademy.com. You can reach me on Twitter at therpgacademy. And you can always find me on Twitter at thecalebg. Fantastic. Now, we have quite a few uh, housekeeping things we want to talk about. We have some more Catacon news. We want to talk some stuff about the network. But we are going to actually bring that to the back of the show this week. And we're going to start off uh, with our actual topics. And that is, to start with, playing established characters in an established setting. And so specifically what I mean by this is when you're role-playing a game in, a, in an IP that already exists... Star Wars comes to mind. Star Trek comes to mind. We played uh, for Halloween last year. We played a Scooby-Doo episode. And in that episode specifically, the character, the players took on the roles of the established characters. We had a Fred, a Velma, Daphne, and a Scooby and a Shaggy. So when you are going to role play in a game when you're, where you're not just creating your own character, but you are playing a known property, whether you're playing like a superhero game and you're playing the Avengers, or again, you're playing the Hardy Boys or Veronica Mars, what sort of things do you as a GM and as a player need to think about, maybe go in prepared for? Uh, how does that differ from just a regular game that you would play any other day of the week? So what do you think about that, Caleb? Well, I think the most important thing to consider about this topic is that when you're going into this type of game, you need to have everybody at the table ready to do it. This is not the type of thing that you just randomly throw at people. Hey, everybody, we're playing Scooby-Doo tonight. Deal with it. I mean, it could be. There's plenty of people that don't care about that kind of thing and are 
ready, willing, and flexible to jump into different type of role-playing and improv situations. So if that's the type of table and players you have, go for it. But if you really want to evoke the mood, the setting, the characters of a particular established story, you probably need to get everybody on board. So I think that's the most important thing first. Bring it up, get everybody ready to jump into this different type of game setting. So I would kind of equate that with our standard advice of trying to do a session zero. Because when, you, when you're starting a new campaign that's a homebrew setting, you know, you still want to have a session zero where you create characters, make sure everybody's on the same page. They know the, the type of game you're going for, the themes. You know, are we going for over-the-top action? Are we going for more noir? Is this a comedy game? Is this a serious game? And I absolutely agree that in, a, in an established setting, established characters, it's, it's not exactly the same, but it, it equates to the same because it is, hey, you are playing Luke Skywalker in this game. We are playing in the Star Wars universe. You know, this is going to happen between episodes, whatever and whatever. So canon exists, but I need you to play as if you're Luke Skywalker. And I think there's some pluses and minuses with that. I know a lot of people enjoy making their own characters. They enjoy coming up with their own personalities and qualities and quirks and flaws. And in some ways, you are very restrained if you say you're playing Luke Skywalker and you have to play him as Luke Skywalker. So I think that sort of moves the onus from the player to the GM to make sure that you're telling a story worthy of that character. That is definitely something to debate when you're going into this type of game. Just like any sort of comic book or movie, there's an established story. The The characters do things, the characters know things. As fans, we know these things as well. So on one hand, you want to play the story because you like the story. So let's say we wanted to play an X-Men game and we wanted to play Age of Apocalypse from the 90s. You can sit down and read that entire story. Let's say we wanted to play a superhero game but wanted to play DC and we wanted to play, I don't, I don't know, uh, the Green Lantern Saga, the Darkest Night Saga. We can read that story. We can know these characters. We know the beginning, the middle, and the end. So if you want to play an established story, it's kind of like you have a script. If you're playing Star Wars and you want to play Empire Strikes Back, because it's the best one, you have a script. You just do what it says. Is that really role-playing, though? Well, I, I think I think we're mixing our philosophies a little bit here. Because like, I, I use Star Wars as an example because I've had that same situation before. Where a, What I've seen in the past is usually if you're going to play Star Wars, is you don't play the established characters, but you play in the established setting. So like you said, we're, we're going to play our game parallel to what's happening in Empire Strikes Back. So your characters might interact with characters. They may go to Bespin. They may be there when X happens, or they may be, uh, you know, they, they are ancillary characters to the main story. So it's kind of like, it's like cool. It's like an Easter egg. Like, oh, 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 that's that ship that we saw in the background. We didn't know what that was. That's cool. That's us. Yay. But generally, you don't let those characters just destroy canon. Like, you're not going to let them just blow Luke Skywalker's ship up, and then now the second Death Star can't be destroyed in the third film because that's canon. I think what we're talking about here is you're, you're playing in an established setting. We're playing in the Star Wars universe, 
and we're going to play established characters, but we're not necessarily following the same story. It's either happening before or after what we know of as canon. So, you know, you can't not blow up the Death Star, but we're dealing with Luke Skywalker after that, or, you know, or we're dealing with Han Solo before that. So it's not exactly the same as that. I, I think, I think what you're saying is probably what happens most often, but I think this is a little bit different take on it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think as fans of a genre, we want to play the movie because we want to pretend the movie. We love the movie. We love the comic book. We love the TV show. We're playing pretend. This is This is what we did when we were little kids. When we were little kids and we watched Star Wars, we went into the backyard we found some sticks, they became lightsabers, and we played Star Wars. I I was Darth Vader, you were Luke Skywalker, we had the fight, and then we would get into arguments, because it would be, oh, this, this is where I knock you down. No, it's not, this is where I win. That's where kind of role-playing evolved from there. By instinct, when we love a series, when we love a thing, we want to be those characters, because we see... We see ourselves embodied in these characters on the screen or on the pages. We see the things we like about ourselves. We see the things we want to be. We see the things we don't want to be. So part of us wants to just jump right into those roles and be part of that scene. So on one hand, if you want to just play the movie, play the movie. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what's going to happen, but you get to do stuff. But like you were saying, Michael, a lot of times... As we evolve as role players, we want to make choices. We want to make our own characters. We want to exercise those creative muscles. And that's when we start doing the, okay, we're in the movie, but we're the side characters. We're in between the two movies. We're the thing that gets mentioned for two seconds, but now we're going to expand it to be an entire game for two months. That kind of stuff is really fun, but it's also really challenging. Because even though you are taking, you're taking out the responsibility of saying, I am playing this established character, you're playing your own character who can make your own choices, you're still playing within the confines of this world. And just because we're harshing on Star Wars here, we know that at some point the Death Star gets blown up. So what happens when there's a point in the game where that could potentially be impacted? Do you simply say, well, we know the Death Star has to get blown up, so your choice is now limited? Or do we say, well, this is our game, it's our story, you're making a choice, this could potentially be the outcome, are we rewriting the story? I think that goes back to your session zero and where you say we are sticking to the script. You guys can have some flexibility within it, but we're going to start here and we're going to end there. And that's just the way it's going to be. If it was me, I would want to let that character or that player change the story. But that would be, especially in a, in a, in a setting like Star Wars, which is so beloved, that's a lot of information that you now have to go, okay, the second Death Star didn't get blown up, the Emperor's not dead, the Empire rules, you know, you have to do some very quick mental hoop jumping to figure out the long-term ramifications uh, of that change, those those ripples, 
that that go on. So I would say it could go either way, but you need to have thought about that before you started playing so that it all everyone's on, on board and no one's like, that's that's awful. Like, you're not going to let me do this thing I can do because it messes up the story. Why did we even play that? Or you say, when that comes up, you know, just, just don't do that. But I kind of want to take this conversation back around. I think it'd be best if we got away from Star Wars. I know I started that to do something more episodic that makes more sense, like a comic book or a TV show like The A-Team or uh, uh, Knight Rider or something more recent like Veronica Mars. That's still not recent. Something more recent. What's current TV? I don't know. I don't watch anything but Flash and Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow. And... Well, I mean, both all, all of those work. They're just episodic stories. Right. You have an episodic story where you're still playing an established character, but there are unlimited number of stories that you can tell within that so that you don't have to worry so much about sticking to, well, this happens or that happens. Because especially with like, you know, comic books, people die and come back to life all the time. So you can do anything you want. So th- the crux of the conversation is, when you're playing an established character, how how do you differ as the player and how do you need to approach it as the, as the DM? So l- let me step in just quickly and finish this uh, one thought. Because what prompted this idea for this conversation was back in Halloween, we played a special game of uh, Savage Worlds with Scooby-Doo. Uh, it was you, um, Andrew Young, the, that one GM, Matthew uh, Perotti, who's all kind of part of our faculty or extended fac- family. And then Emily and Cinda from She's a Super Geek, you guys were playing the Scooby Gang and I was running the adventure. And as sort of like a test, I ran that same exact adventure with my home group the next day, but I ran it with a different system. And it was awful. And I I want to ex- express how awful that game was. And the difference was that a couple of the players, and I don't think they'll be offended, it, it was Nick specifically, was not role-playing the character they were playing. They were playing themselves in that role, to make sense. So in, th- in this case, very, very straightforward, Nick was playing Velma. But he was playing Velma like he would play Velma, where he's like, why are we here? This is a spooky swamp. Let's leave. Let's get in the van. Let's turn around. I'm not going to. Why are you talking to me? I don't want to solve your mystery. I want to go home. That's not how Velma would act in a mystery. Velma would be like, Jinkies, there's a clue. You know, Fred is always pushing the story forward, trying to solve it because that's what those characters did. And and I'll, and I'll assume responsibility. I probably didn't set that up properly. I didn't make sure everyone knew uh, what exactly their roles were. You know, I'm older. Maybe I just assumed everyone knew Scooby-Doo uh, intimately like I do. That sounded dirty. So I think that was kind of what happened. like, why, you know, why did that go so poorly? And I think it's because they were not playing the characters I thought they would play. They were playing a different version, and I wasn't prepared for it. Well, first off, you're right. Everyone should know Scooby-Doo. If you don't know Scooby-Doo, don't listen to this podcast. I'm totally kidding. Everyone should listen to this podcast and love Scooby-Doo. everyone should know Scooby-Doo. Yes, everyone should know Scooby-Doo. If you don't know Scooby-Doo, stop listening to the podcast momentarily. Go watch all of Scooby-Doo that has ever existed and then come back and finish this episode. Well, Also listen to our Scooby-Doo special because it's really good. And then finish this. You should start with our Scooby-Doo special. But then there's no context. So go back. Watch all the Scooby-Doo mysteries. Watch all the uh, the special movies, especially Harlem Globetrotters. 
Oh, it means Batman. But if it's got Scrappy in it, skip it. Scrappy is the shimp of Scooby-Doo. He has no business being in there, and all of his episodes are terrible. I, I know that we've had discussions about language on this show, but pardon me, fuck Scrappy. <laughs> This is the whole PG-13 movie, right? I can get away with one of those. We get one of them. We get one of them. I just stole it. Okay, so you're absolutely right. What happened, I wasn't there, so just based off what you're telling me, what happened was people approached role-playing differently than you expected. So going into that game, you said, hey, we're playing Scooby-Doo. You immediately assumed everyone would say, oh, we're playing Scooby-Doo. Okay, I have my character. I immediately know my role and my job. It's just like the cartoons in the movies. But what really happened was you said, we're playing Scooby-Doo. And your players said, great, let's just play a role-playing game. Now, I'm obviously making some assumptions here that, that might not have actually happened. But from your retelling of these events... When your players got these characters, they did not step into the persona as established by decades of television. So the question becomes, first off, whose fault is it? If we want to point blame, maybe that would be on your shoulders by saying, you should have said, hey guys, I want to play Scooby-Doo. Are you guys cool with playing it like the show? No, I, I will assume full responsibility because I, I did not set the expectations properly or I did not verify that they knew their characters. I assumed everyone knew Scooby-Doo, so absolutely the failing is on me because I didn't prepare properly. So that is easily solved for anyone looking to take on a game like this. You take two minutes while you're planning this game. You send out an email. You send out a, a a tweet, a group message, or whatever, and say, hey, guys, we're playing this game in this established setting. One, are we on board for doing this kind of thing? And two, are you all well-versed enough with these characters to play them like we know from the established thing? Quick conversation, get every on everybody on board. If someone's not on board, but they want to be, it doesn't take very long to watch a couple things on the internet, on Netflix, on Hulu, whatever, and kind of catch up with it. Now, all that being said, the, the flip side to this debate is that there's also nothing wrong with playing a what-if alternate dimension variety of the established thing. So if we go back to the Scooby-Doo game... Maybe we want to play the more non-goofy, non-cartoon, realistic version of Scooby-Doo. So four kids get into a strange situation, but they all have common sense. And they don't go into the spooky house. And their dog is just a dog. I mean, you can still play a character named Fred and Velma, but they're just regular people. There's nothing, again, nothing wrong with that, but... It goes back to that initial conversation, that session zero. Hey, guys, what do we want to do? For me, in that particular instance, and this is this is my well, this is all our opinion, but this is I would say more opinion than advice here. Is if we're going to do that, then I would just rather not not play that at all. Like I don't, 
I don't quite understand the the necessity of saying I'm Fred and Velma and Daphne if we're not going to play them any way like that, unless we're going for satire. If we're playing the, we're going to treat this as real, but the story is still goofy, then that could be funny for a few episodes or a few, you know, few sessions. But if it, we're literally saying, okay, you're playing Fred Jones, but this is nothing at all like the Scooby-Doo version. You you know, it, it literally the name is the only similarity and, you know, we're, we're all in a group, but we don't chase mysteries or we don't try to. And then I would rather just do something completely homebrewed and not feel any sort of restraint about trying to force the game to feel like a Scooby-Doo episode or something like that. Uh, another just quick hit. Um, I probably should have had someone had them all at least watch an episode. I know Rocky did specifically. He told me he watched a whole bunch of uh, Scooby-Doo episodes prior to that game so that he would know how to stat out his character. He was playing Scooby. So kudos to Rocky for doing some research. And then there's a new game that I just started, which we may touch on later or future episodes, that uh, thematically is a lot like a, a TV show or a couple TV shows. And I asked everyone to watch several episodes of those shows, not because we're playing those characters, but I want it to feel like those shows in a way. And that's probably because I learned my lesson from that Scooby-Doo episode. Well, going back to the topic at hand, this is where you and I differ. I really like doing the what-if alternate reality version of established things. I, I really like the comic books where they would do the what if series and they do weird mashups or oh what if peter parker never got bit what would happen blah 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 you know th those weird one-off kind of things uh the the marvel and the dc universes are are full of alternate versions of the same story and i think and again this is my opinion my preference as a creator as a game master i think there can be a lot of fun to be had with okay, let's play Scooby-Doo, but let's play Scooby-Doo as if they were modern-day hipster kids fighting zombies, which is absolutely a real thing that's happening in the comic books, which I kind of don't like, but I kind of do. Anyway, I think that can be a lot of fun. Uh, let's play Scooby-Doo, but everyone is in a post-apocalyptic future. Let's play Scooby-Doo set in the Roaring Twenties. I think it's fun to play with the genre and the established characters and bend storylines and just screw around. I don't think that's a campaign. I think that's a one shot. I think that's a fun afternoon. And that's especially only going to work with people who know the setting and love it and want to fool around with it. it uh, you and me, Michael, we know Scooby-Doo. So if we want to sit down and play Scooby-Doo in space... We get the humor in that because we've watched Scooby-Doo. Me in syndication, you for real, because you're an old man. I am. I'm very old. Younger people or people who don't care about Scooby-Doo, first off, they're not our friends. They're not going to care. But that goes back to really what you were saying. It becomes satire. It becomes a spoof. But a satire and a spoof only work if you know the original material. If we're playing superheroes and we want to play x-men but we want to play the days of future past that was really kind of a, a one-off what if story 
Age of Apocalypse was a, a one-off what-if story. It takes the established characters, it changes all the, the rules, and you throw them into a different situation. Not quite satire and funny, it's just a, a weird variation. But again, that only works because you know what the X-Men are, and you know what the original story is. So I personally think that kind of stuff is really, really fun. And that's also where you can kind of get away with doing whatever you want, which is what we were talking about 10 minutes ago about the restrictions of playing within an established world. If we want to go back to Star Wars and say, okay, well, how do we deal with the fact that we're kind of limited by knowing that the Death Star is going to explode? Well, let's just do a what if and say, who cares? Let's just make up our own little story and variation, and if something happens that shouldn't happen or doesn't happen that should happen, that's okay. We can just do our own thing. If we want to play samurai Star Wars and put these characters in medieval ancient Japan, fine. If we want to play Wild West Star Wars and put these characters in the desert, I mean, unfortunately, none of those two examples are really different because Star Wars is just a Western samurai movie in space. But you get the point. <laughs> the point is that if you're going to change something, get everybody on board, make sure you know what's going on, and just talk about it. Make sure you really know what's happening. So one thing I want to jump in there with is I'm a big fan of alternate timelines as well and, and, and what-ifs. I think that Scooby-Doo uh, game kind of hit me in a very sort of weird niche uh, area of my brain. Uh, but one thing that I, I would think would be fun, and uh, I am a Star Trek fan as well. I'm, I'm that unicorn. I like Star Wars, Star Trek, and football and role-playing games. There was an episode of Deep Space Nine, which I do not enjoy. It's actually my least favorite of all of them, uh, where they went back in time to the episode of Trouble with Tribbles. And I know enough about it to know that basically their their characters were interacting just off camera to make sure that what happened in the original episode actually happened. And that is one way that you could work with uh, the Star Wars is maybe the Death Star didn't actually blow up because of Luke's miracle 90 degree shot. Maybe something else actually happened and that's what you're doing. And he gets all the credit. And then that way you can do whatever you want. And if they fail, then you're like, well, no, Luke blew up the star, blew up the Death Star. I mean, that's like your back pocket, uh, you know, big twist is that no, you actually blew it up unless you fail, and then no, Luke blew it up. That way, the story at the end of the day, the Death Star is still going to get blown up, but the characters don't have to know that they they have full control of the story. Hopefully, they will succeed. You know, very cool. And they'll be like, you know, they'll have that moment where actually we did that, and that's really cool. And you could do that with any established setting. Is that you play different characters, which again is a different kind of conversation, but we're jumping around. But it's not that you're just ancillary characters who can't impact the story, is that you're the unsung heroes, and without you, the story doesn't happen. First off, Deep Space Nine is awesome. Second off, that episode is one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine ever. Which is probably why I know that one. Yeah, that, that was a really solid episode. Plus, plus it, it gave us the whole, hey, wait a minute, why are Klingons different debate? And it was really funny. But you, you bring up a great point there. What you've kind of brought up, though, is almost a totally different game. 
this could be a okay yeah we're gonna play star wars but we have to make sure the thing that's supposed to happen does happen but this this could also be a dimensional police kind of game this could be a hey we have to jump into these established stories like quantum leap like sam jumping around and make sure that this event does not change so you could actually play your own setting where you're these this weird dimensional police people and each week you jump into a different established story okay we have to jump into star wars and make sure the death star explodes okay we have to jump into star trek and make sure the board get destroyed okay we have to jump into i don't know whatever and make sure the thing that's supposed to happen happens so that would be a way to run your game a little bit differently and not be so locked into let's just play star wars let's just play firefly let's just play scooby-doo so that could be something to do that would be fun that could be your own that could be a, a full campaign because you'd have to go into well why are all these things changing what's going on there's obviously some sort of bad guy trying to screw around with the timelines of these established genres a la quantum leap yeah but that was they never explained why everything went wrong was it i think it was just the devil. Wasn't it just the devil? Yeah, there was an evil leaper. I don't want to say leper. There was an evil leaper that they met, I think in season four, maybe, that it turns out that they were actively working against uh, Sam. And, and it basically was a God and the devil thing. It was it was a very heavy metaphor. Right, because the ending of that show made total sense with God being a bartender and saying, hey, guess what, Sam? You're screwed. <laughs> but it was Mac from MacGyver, so they get points for that. Very true. Very true. Okay, so have we answered our original question, or do we need to try to get back to that? Because I'm not sure we do. I don't remember our original question. Hey, welcome original. to the RPG Academy, where nothing <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> oh, there's, there's evil timeline people have gone in and met... No, it's, this is our fault. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, so we're going to play a game where we need to jump into this podcast and, and rectify what's happening in this podcast. Okay, so we were originally talking about, in a roundabout way... How do you run a game like this? What are the different ways to handle it? But also, how do you handle role-playing these characters? Yeah, that's the thing I don't think we've really touched on yet, is if I'm going to be Velma, how do I enjoy playing Velma without just going, oh, this is what Velma would say, I, I have to play along or the story doesn't work? Okay, so we kind of have touched on that, just in a very tangential, roundabout way. If you're playing a game and you don't really want to participate as the established character, well, then that goes back to the GM. You need to get everybody on board first. So let's assume everybody's on board. You want to play the characters. You're not playing a what-if alternate dimension storyline. You're playing the characters from the show, from the comic book, from the movie. As a player, you need to know these characters. You need to know the interaction so you need to watch the show, watch the movie, read the book. That's pretty simple. You're probably not going to do everything spot on exactly like that established character would. You're obviously going to make some of your own choices, but you still have to be able to justify what you're doing within the confines of this reality. So if you're playing Velma, you know you're going to say jinkies a lot. You know you're going to lose your glasses. And you know you're going to always be the one that actually solves everything because you're the actual only smart one in the game. 
it, it's kind of like you know the outline of the character, you know the beats you have to hit, and you just make sure what you're doing hits those marks. See, for me, because I'm sorry, I want to jump in there, is I think I think you've hit it on the head there. What I would say is it's about knowing the motivation. Because you could still play an alternate Velma who isn't exactly the same. She doesn't necessarily say jinkies. Maybe she has contacts. Oh, no, you always say jinkies. You, you can't not say jinkies. You know, but maybe she has contacts, so she doesn't have the, the lose the glasses uh, trope, which is always fun. But her motivation has to be there that she's actively trying to solve the mystery so that that way we're always pushing the action forward rather than trying to run away from it. And I think that's the same no matter what your what what thing you're playing. If you like I grew up reading the Hardy Boys books, I could have a lot of fun playing a two person Hardy Boys game where Frank and Joe go out and solve mysteries with their buddy Chet. And but you still have to have the motivations that Frank and Joe are competent they want to solve crimes. Their dad will show up at the end to take credit because he's a terrible father. Uh, Chet's always going to be hungry, and he's always going to do. He's going to accidentally help you in some way. So as long as you have the motivations down, you can play around with the theme a little bit, and you can explore the boundaries. It's not wide open, but there's there's some loose boundaries that you can still role play in, have some fun, but still move the story forward. And I think that does veer into satire. Like the like when you have a movie like Starsky and Hutch, the one that came out a few years ago with uh, uh, Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson, they were basically playing, you know, satirical versions of those characters, but they were still those characters, if that makes sense. You know, I think any satire, that's that's what we're getting at, is they're still doing the same type of things. It's just updated to a modern sensibility. Well, if we're playing Hardy Boys, you forgot to include everyone wears sweater vests. I don't remember that detail. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I assume I mean, I'm pretty sure the, they had sweater the, vests. Maybe that's just my perception. Probably the timing of it. I mean, those were written in what the 50s. Some of them, six, 60s, 70s. Maybe that was just when I read them as kids. They that's the art that was on the cover. Maybe they had sweater vests on that. But if we're gonna play Hardy Boys, then we have to also play Tom Swift. Because I I read Tom Swift when I was a kid, so we're sure as heck playing a Tom Swift game. See, I have I have no idea who that even is. Johnny Quest? Can we play Johnny Quest? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Let's play Johnny Quest. I'm I might want to be Ray Bannon. <laughs> so see, I again, I would argue that Venture Brothers is a satire of Johnny Quest, but that's but it also includes Johnny Quest, but it also satired Scooby Doo, so it all relates. Yes, boom. it's all it's all boom. Head explode. Ah. <laughs> okay, but what, so I, I think we actually answered the question there. Right. What, One setting up the game properly with expectations, making sure that you as the GM and the players know the source material, and that you have at least the motivations of your characters down. Even if you want to play with them, their individuality and personality, you have to have those elements to run a successful, established IP, established character game. I still think that's going to be a one-shot or two-shot game. I don't know that that would be fun for a long-term campaign unless you just absolutely love that game. Like like Firefly, if you give me the chance to play Malcolm Reynolds in a Firefly game, I'm never going to quit. If I, as long as I'm, you know, as long as I'm able to do that, I'm going to keep aiming to misbehave. You're exactly right. Once you know the motivation, that helps shape your role-playing. If we want to go to to fourth edition for a moment, fourth edition had party roles: the striker, the defender, the controller. It 
didn't define what you did. It just shaped how you did it. It was why you did things. It was why you had the certain powers you had. That's what we're talking about here. If we're looking back to Scooby-Doo, Velma is always going to find the clues and solve the mystery. She's always the smartest in the room. As long as you know that going into role-playing Velma, you're doing Velma properly. Fred is always driving the mystery forward, but he's also setting traps, and he's generally being dumb. And he has a neckerchief. It's an ascot. Eh, neckerchief, ascot, same thing. But I think what we may have hit on here that that might be the nugget that we can dig out of this hole in the ground is if you take this idea outside of our uh, our conceit and just say regular role-playing, knowing the motivation of your character, no matter who they are, no matter what game, is very important to determine how you're going to play that character at the table. Uh, in 5th edition, obviously, you you have the table, so you can come up with a bond, an ideal, a flaw, personality quirks and traits that will will give you some individual aspects. But what's your motivation? And I know it's, it's a joke. You've probably seen it in a dozen movies about acting where there's a guy that says, okay, but what's my motivation here? Because as an actor, the way that you're going to play a scene depends on what you're trying to get from it. So anytime that you're trying to start a new game, that should be one of the key questions you're asking yourself. And it, again, that goes back to session zero, is what's my motivation? Why am I adventuring or why am I part of this group or why am I trying to accomplish the thing that we start the game we're all working toward? And that will help you make sure you're always pushing the action forward, but you still have these boundaries you can push against and in, in how you actively role play your particular character but that motivation is key, I think. And even if you don't know every little nuance of your motivation, you could at least define how your character approaches a problem. Does your character kick down the door and start a fight? Does your character sit back and ask questions? Does your character try to get someone else to do the work for him? If you at least know how your character does something, you can really get into role-playing what your character is actually doing. So with, with all of that kind of summarized and knocked down, I think there's a lot of good advice there to take away, whether you're playing a, a game set within an established world or you're making your own homebrew game, whatever. I, I don't want to walk away from this topic without talking at least a little bit about mechanics of playing established games. I am Professor Crunch. I feel it's my responsibility. There's a lot of systems out there that have been made for established properties. There's a Firefly role-playing game. There's a Supernatural role-playing game. Small World, Marvel, DC. There's tons of printed, prepared, this is the game that lets you tell this story in this established world. And most of the time... Half of those books is simply how to play the established characters that already exist, which is kind of cool. You don't have to try to figure out how to make it happen. Uh, but as, uh, as a GM, I, I've struggled a lot with how to properly represent a, an established property in a different set of mechanical rules. I think there's a lot of things that make it really, really easy, and there's a lot of things that make it really, really hard. 
for example, if you're trying to hack a D20 Dungeons & Dragons system into anything, you're just asking for a headache. It can work, but there's going to be a whole lot of hand-waving, and it's going to cause problems. It would be best just to find a different system. Right, because how do you break down an established thing into levels? How do you figure out, okay, if I want to play Wolverine, am I going to play a level 1 Wolverine and learn my powers as I go? Or do I want just want to play Wolverine with all his powers? Okay, I just want to play Wolverine. What level is Wolverine? I don't know. What level does he have to be to have all these associated powers? Okay, well, now we have to break down all the powers and figure out how it balances. And, okay, does this balance against Cy Cyclops? Does he balance against Magneto? Wait, well, who's really more powerful? Blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to fall down the rabbit hole. Nerd fight! Yep, pretty much. D20 systems are insane. But that being said, there are, there are genre not genre, there are world agnostic superhero D20s that make sense. They're balanced within themselves. Uh, there, There's tons of them out there. You can find them anywhere where it's just, okay, here's how you play a generic character with this superpower, and here's how you level it up level 1 to 20. Slap whatever label you want on it. That's totally fine. If you want to use it, if you want to write it yourself, go for it. But ultimately... If you are playing an established character, or at least playing with an established world, you're doing it because you want certain things to work right. If you're playing Firefly, you want the different guns and tech just to be there and be accessible. You want the different races. Uh, well, Firefly didn't really have races. Uh, you, you want the different types of characters to be there. If you're playing Star Trek, you want phasers. You want the starships. You don't want to be an ensign. You want to be someone cool. Uh, so, you, so you want to jump into a system that lets you be cool. So a lot of times something like Savage Worlds lets you be cool. Something like Fate just lets you be cool. Personally, due to experience with this show, I've come to be a full believer that Wushu is the perfect system to play any established setting. Because Wushu just lets you do whatever you want, lets you be cool, and have a lot of fun. And a game like this is going to be a one-shot, probably, where you just want to have a lot of fun. So if, if I want to be Riker and kick my leg over chairs all day long and play trombone, I could just do that in Wushu and say, screw it, this is how I do it. Yeah, I, I uh, Fate definitely comes to mind, and I have a love-hate relationship with Fate that we've explored. I... I... I want to play in a fate game that lives up to the promise of fate. I have yet to do so, probably my failing, not the systems. But I also agree that Wushu it would also work perfectly, but I, I tend to see Wushu games turning silly, and that's not always the case of what you're going for. Maybe you are. If, you, if you're going for silly, absolutely Wushu. If you want to try to have a, a, a any sort of sense of theme or you know seriousness, then I would think fate... Because that's what aspects do so well, is you can just say, I'm a supernatural demon hunter. Okay, that's Dean or Sam. You got a couple more that will help you differentiate. Are you the are you guy that likes pie? Do you eat the, do you drive the car? Or do you always get the chicks? You know, I don't know who we're talking about yet. That's the same character. Oh, I'm sorry. Because you could just have, I think I made a joke once uh, after Gardens of the Galaxy came out, that if I was going to play Groot, 
in Fate, he would have four aspects, and they all would be, I am Groot. It would just be a different intonation as I say it. Like, I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. And that's your aspects. And whatever you're trying to do, how do you do that? I am Groot. Okay, fine. It works. You know, you're, you could have an aspect that says, I'm Wolverine. <laughs> and whenever you're trying to do that thing that only Wolverine can do, I'm Wolverine. So 100%, if you're going to play established characters like that, Fate or Wuxi would be my top two picks uh, out of all the games that I've experienced, which are still not that many all told, you know, all said and done. Well, it is my personal goal this year to experiment with Wushu and drive it into genres of noir and horror settings and, and try to really evoke some more serious, intense moods out of it. Maybe something like that will happen at a Catacon 2016. Just a little bit of a teaser. Hey, guys. But yeah, um, I think games that rely on things like dice pools also fit really well uh i think the i might be totally wrong here forgive me but i think the cortex system was used for things like the supernatural role-playing game the smallville role-playing game uh it, it feels a lot like savage worlds in that you have different size dice that define your skills and you're rolling them to do certain things the marvel role-playing game that we did a trial of last year it is very flexible like that. You're kind of just saying, I have Captain America's shield. I, I can do whatever Captain America's shield does. And I'm rolling a bunch of dice because I have the shield. Things like that that give you flexibility within a certain level of restriction is going to help. Ultimately, there's no perfect system. And ultimately, there's always going to be something that doesn't match up right. Uh, if I wanted to play a Doctor Who role-playing game, because I'm one of the biggest Doctor Who fans in the world, I, I can't find a system that does it right. Plus, I can never figure out how to play the Doctor, because one, my accent's not that good, and two, I can't talk as fast as Matt Smith or David Tennant. It's never going to be perfect. But... As we say on this show, more often than not, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So ultimately, everything we've been saying for the past 45 minutes, just throw it out the window. Figure out a way to have fun to play the thing you want to play. If you want to play Scooby-Doo and just be Scooby-Doo from the cartoon, figure out a way to do it and make sure you're having fun. Done. Going back to that original posit, I had expectations for that game. Those expectations were not met, which caused conflict and caused that game, <clears throat> excuse me, and caused that game to basically shut down. Like we literally stopped playing halfway through because everyone could tell that it just wasn't going right. Normally, I am a much more of an improvisational DM and I would have just went with it. But because I was trying to run a particular module and I was trying to recreate the event, the, uh, the game that we had the night before, I was a little bit more constrained than usual, but but I very easily could have just taken a step back and been, okay, you know, just threw the module over my shoulder, said, screw it, let's go, and I could have salvaged that game, and we could have had a lot of fun with it, but my expectations really is what got in the way of that uh, at the end of the day. So, you know, it, again, we're jumping around on our advice here, but as the DM, if you have a plan and you're not willing to scrap it, 
very likely that might be the cause of why the game isn't going the way you think it should is because you think you know how the game should go. Ultimately, communication is the most important part of a role-playing game. Communicate with your players, listen to what they're saying, and, and be open and honest. If you want to play a certain module and expect it to go a certain way, make that clear. Don't give it away. Don't say, hey, guys, I want to play this module about the main character who gets killed, and I, I really want to explore all these emotional reactions of betrayal and death and blah, 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 because that might kind of spoil the fun. But make it clear what you're playing and what you expect to happen. And if your players say, yeah, absolutely, we're on board, let's do it, go ahead. But if your players say, oh, no, that's horrible, we don't want to do that, or uh, I, I don't really know, maybe we could try it, I'm not sure, that's going to set the tone. You can't approach a game set in stone. You, you have to be flexible. So I, I guess our sub-motto here, as long as you're having fun, but also be flexible while you're having fun. Or if you're more flexible, you will more likely have fun. But anyway, okay, I feel like at this point, we have answered our original question and about 17 others that we didn't actually ask. And we, we touched on about 20 more that we didn't answer, but we don't have time. So I think uh, for, the, for the sake of everyone's sanity, we're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, I do want to touch on when we knew we were going to record tonight, we had thrown out uh, some some requests for questions and we got a few back. Thank you to everyone who responded. And I do want to do an actual like live Q&A session at some point in the future. I'd like to do like a full mailbag episode. Uh, but one question in particular came from Alex and I do want to address it specifically uh, because he was having an issue with a problem player. And I kind of feel like everything we've said till now is kind of the answer. So I'll just kind of quickly uh, summarize that. He basically has a player who has different expectations. Uh, you know, they are trying to, they're not like actively working against the party, but where tonally they're in a different game. They, all the other players are trying to like solve the mystery. This guy's picking fights for no reason. Like They're trying to negotiate with the king. He's going to try to shoot the king in the face. Uh, you know, kind of a... Um, murdering hobo type, right? So I think that goes back to what we said, setting expectations before the game even started. This is the type of game I'm going to run. This is the theme. This is what I want to explore. Make sure you have a character that fits in that. And if this person just doesn't want to play that type of game, then maybe they just don't need to play in that game. And I know that can be a difficult conversation because either you're playing with people at a table who will become your friends or you have your friends and you're playing the game. And in both those situations, it can be awkward to say, you don't really fit what we're trying to do here, but I'm a believer that no game is better than a bad game. So I would say that you probably need to have a conversation with that person out of, out of game. Say, you know, you've created a character that's not really fitting in with everyone else. Do you want to play a different character? Do you want to change some things up? Or we're just not going to have you play. And that doesn't have to be an end of the friendship thing. Like I still want to go watch Deadpool with you. I still want to do board game night, but you're not a good fit for this particular role-playing game. So how about we just do something different when the nights that you're here type of a thing. I know uh, Seth Polanski, who we interviewed a couple of years ago about um, of Dyson men said it well. He said, role-playing games are fun. So if you're not having fun, it's the group. So in that case, I think we have, we have a round peg trying to go into a square hole 
Actually, that, that would work. We have a square peg trying to go in a round hole. It's not fitting. I agree. But I also think that there are opportunities where that kind of opposed dynamic can work. But it all goes back to being open com and having communication about that. If we are setting up a game and we want to have a game where we are negotiating treaties and having a little bit more of a focus on role-playing and social dynamic, but one of the players says, well, I really want to play this crazy guy who just wants to shoot everybody in the face. Okay, how does that guy fit into this party? Is he the one that's always causing trouble and the other party members have to always fix the problem and stop him? Okay, does that become not fun after a couple sessions? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it, it could drive the story in a totally unique and very fun way. But it could also become that really annoying trope of every weekly procedural cop show where the one troublemaker always causes trouble and everyone has to drop what they're doing to solve it. And then they go back to actually doing the thing they're supposed to do. That could get really not fun and boring after a couple weeks. So there's a pro and con to both sides of this. You just have to be flexible. You have to be open. You have to talk about it. And you have to be willing to adapt different things. If all your players say, hey, yeah, I think that'd be really fun to have this guy who wants to always cause trouble, you might have to adjust your story a little bit. You might have to leave some openings and some freedom to let them run around and, and fix the problems that this guy solves and not have it be so pressure and intense driven of getting back to talk to the king. Ultimately, though, I, I do think I'm more on Michael's side with this. Get every on, get everybody on board with the type of game you want to play. It, it, it's not going to be fun if people are doing really different opposite things, and it's just going to make the game fall apart. Sad, but true. So, uh, Alex, hopefully that is helpful. Uh, hopefully uh, you have a chance to talk to this person. Maybe it's a friend of yours, and you guys can work it out, and they'll... Uh, They'll create a new character or they'll they'll get in line or maybe everyone else is like, nah, you know what? I'll, I'm fine with hobo and murdering. Let's just uh, let's just get some shotguns and start shooting people. And if everybody's laughing and joking at the table, who cares? You're having fun. You're doing it right. OK, so that will wrap up the sort of uh, GM discussion advice portion of the show. We're now going to move on to some uh, Catacon news and network stuff. So if that doesn't interest you. You can stop listening now. If it does interest you, thank you, because we definitely need your support. Uh, so we're going to talk about a catacomb. We're going to talk about the network. We're going to talk about some upcoming things that I'll be doing. And then we're going to end with some new five-star reviews. Uh, so a quick reminder there, we do have our Gen Con contest that is running between now and July 15th. For every 10 iTunes reviews that we get, we are going to give away a $30 gift certificate at Gen Con, as well as a free Akatacon badge. We currently have five new reviews since we opened up the contest, so we're halfway there to our first prize. But let's we'll start with network stuff. If you listened to last week's show and tell, you know that we have added a new member 
to the team. Um, Eric Owsley, uh, who you may know from Gamer Stable, is now running a website called Openly Gamer Theater, and he has agreed to bring his show into the fold, and he is now part of the RPG Academy Network. Yay! Absolutely. We, we are so happy to have him part of the team. Uh, what he's doing and trying to do with that show, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's able to accomplish. And I hope that those of us in the network are going to be able to help him out. Uh, I don't want to rehash the entire conversation we had. So please, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. But we're really excited about that. Uh, So the other thing I wanted to mention is we have formalized the process for, I guess application is the right word. If you would like to be considered to join the RPG Academy Network, you have a website, a blog, a podcast, a, a whatever, and you think your show or your thing fits what we're trying to do, we formalize the way for you to do that. If you're interested in applying, go to rpgacademy.com network, follow the guidelines, and your show or site will be evaluated in the order that it is submitted. How about that? There you go. So let's talk about a catacon, huh? How about that? You want to talk about a catacon? Eh. I will need you to take it up a notch. Good enough. <laughs> okay. So if you've been around for a while, you know that a catacon is very near and dear to our hearts. We we went crazy last year. We decided to do a Kickstarter and hold our own convention, and it happened, and people gave us money, and people showed up. And most people, based off of our surveys and our feedback, most people had a ton of fun. So we're doing it again. And uh, we've already been making plans. We, you know, we're, we're already well into the process, and we've, we've already shared a lot of that information. There is still some flexibility. Some things that we may have said are like, well, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, it could change a little bit, uh, you know, before now and then. Uh, the things for you to know, the Kickstarter is scheduled to go live in April 21st, which is just a couple months away. It's going to run for just about four weeks, not quite. It's going to be a little bit under that, but like 27 days. And that's how you can get your badges. We're going to have GM badges at a very reduced rate. We're going to have some VIP badges. We're going to have some early bird badges, and we're going to have some uh, regular price badges. We're, we're making our minimum, our actual minimum, like literally bare bones what we need to have the con and not lose any money. Because we're moving to the Dayton Convention Center, which is a much bigger facility, uh, it's also in civilization, it costs a lot more. So our minimum is a little higher than it was last year. And then we also want to bring in our special guests, which costs a little bit more. So we're going to have some stretch goals. We're going to have some swag goals, you know, basic Kickstarter stuff. But the things that I wanted to share is we are going to have organized play support. Uh, we've been, uh, Lucas, who's a member of our network, has a buddy who is uh, one of the regional coordinators for Adventures League. Uh, at Winter Fantasy, I ran into uh, a lady who's a regional coordinator in this area, and we are going to be able to offer organized play Adventures League games at Akatacon 2016, which is something we did not have last year. So hopefully that will help bring in some new people that want to play those games, uh, which will help us expand even more. We're still going to have the open tables. We're still going to have all the crazy homebrew stuff and the made-up games and Dread and Wushu and all kind of good stuff. But organized play is a big component of our hobby. A lot of people are into that. And our motto is if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And if people enjoy that type of game, we want to be able to offer it to them as well. Uh, one of the other things uh, at Winter Fantasy, I was talking to Lee. Uh, I don't know his last name, sorry. He runs basically the Gen Con library. 
And there's a chance that if we hit certain stretch goals, we will be able to bring the Gen Con library to a Catacon, which would give you access to over a thousand different board games 24-7 during the, during the convention with no additional cost. So that would pretty much take care of our board game area. You could just pick any game you want and play it uh, at any time. So I'm really hoping that we can get to that level at least. Special guests haven't changed. I don't think anything there uh, is really uh, changed yet. I think we've announced all of them. Uh, we're still working out some of the details on some of the little things, but that was a big thing. Adventures League is coming and the potential for the Gen Con library. Caleb, do you have anything about the, the Kickstarter or about a Catacon you want to mention? The only thing I would like to add right now is that uh, a couple days ago I made the decision that for me personally – what I will be bringing to a Catacon 2016 are brand new games to test. Uh, I will be bringing some rules light role playing games that I'm in the process of writing. Uh, I'll be bringing some some prototype card games and board games to test. So in between now and November, that is my personal goal and directive to to make these things happen and bring them to a catacon uh, in Dayton this year. Uh, I'm sure we will have opportunity to talk about uh, writing games and creating games and the whole process of developing your own game in uh, later episodes this year. Uh, I'm going to be writing some articles about it, working with some other independent developers. This is something that I have a real passion for. I've got that itch to write this kind of stuff. So my personal goal is going to be that this year. So if you are interested at all in playtesting brand new games written from scratch, then let's have a chat and come to a Catacon so that we can do that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Uh, a couple other notes for me is we do have uh, one vendor that's already uh, at least express some interest in coming and being able to sell some wares. And from from our from our surveys we did last year, over ninety percent of the people who did the survey said that they wanted a vendor and they wanted to be able to to spend the money and buy some stuff there. So I'm really hoping that we'll be able to get in some multiple vendors, uh, which is exciting. Uh, we've got a couple sponsorships already lined up. We already have some people that are willing to just donate some straight money to help us. Uh, make this thing happen in return for some advertising, that kind of thing. Um, and then we have some prize support already. Uh, our friends over at Burning Games, who uh, kickstarted the game Faith, which is a card-based role-playing game, we did a trial of it last year. Uh, they just shipped and fulfilled, and they sent me an extra deluxe edition of the game, which I think is in the neighborhood of like 80 bucks retail uh, or Kickstarter, whatever. But that's we have a copy of that. We're going to be able to give it away free. Uh, we have uh, AEG has uh, offered us, we, ha we don't have the specifics, but they're going to offer some of their merchandise as well. So we've already got our prize pool is building for what we hope will be our epic prize giveaway again this year. Uh, last thing about a catacon is City of Brass. If uh, if you're not if you haven't taken a look at City of Brass yet, please do. Cityofbrass.io is one of the m members of our network. If you uh, sign up for City of Brass and you use the the code a catacon sixteen. You will get a discount on your subscription rate, and we get a small percentage of your subscription rate to help offset the costs. So I think that does it for Catacon News. We covered the network. Quickly, some convention stuff. I went to Winter Fantasy a couple weeks ago. Had a very 
very fun time. I played so much Hanabi that it's just crazy, but I still can't get to 25. Uh, made some new friends. Uh, Winter Fantasy is definitely an organized play con, like 99.9% organized play. So my games were kind of like counter-programming, but I did have some fun. Um, I had some people come and join me from, for our 5e module. We played some Dread, played a lot of Hanabi. Definitely a good time. Made some connections I think will help a Catacon out. I'm going to be going to the University of Dayton Con here in a couple weeks. I'm also going to be going to CincyCon. Both those are local, so I'll just drive up for that day. I got Conglomeration coming up soon. And then uh, the big one would be Origins, I think, is the next big con that I will be going to. Hopefully, Caleb will be able to join me for that one. And, of course, we have uh, Gen Con. So if you're going to be going to any of those cons or if there's one out there that I don't know about that you think I should go to, make sure you let us know. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, we are ready to get into our iTunes reviews. Uh, as always, if you listen to a podcast, at some point they're going to say, hey, Write us a review because it really is helpful. It helps more people find the show. It keeps rocketing us up the uh, the charts. So we are in front of more eyeballs when people start just searching randomly for RPG podcasts. Uh, so I believe we have five new five-star reviews. And I will now turn it over to our um, crunch master, uh, who has the better speaking voice, which is funny because I talk more, to read those reviews for us, sir. Uh, first off here, we have a review from... Riverhouse Games Taylor. It's titled Higher Level Learning. I'm still working through their impressive backlog, but I'm excited with what I'm learning from this show. They cover a lot of topics that are currently being bounced around, but they actually spend the time to get to a deeper meaning of why things matter. There's no entry-level mundane talks here. Everything goes deep to tell you why you should care about the conversation and what it can mean for your table. This isn't your 101-level course. It's more like an elective in your major with professors who care about your learning. I've still got about 200 episodes to get current, and I'm so pumped to listen to them all. Thank you, Riverhouse Games Taylor. As two people who have claimed the role of professor we appreciate that attention so and i like how he stuck to the theme it's very important that's true bonus points for staying on theme we appreciate that uh our next review is written by hans tuba god and it's titled an amazing place to start this has been a great way to learn about rpgs i just started gming and this has been a great help Well, I'm glad we're able to help you there, Hans. Uh, Definitely give us some feedback about your first forays behind the GM screen. We definitely want to know what's happening. Unless it's a total failure, and then you just need to listen to more episodes. Our next review is written by Afrael6. It is titled, Good Listening. Good dynamics, great people, love listening to the APs. Short, sweet, to the point. And we definitely have more APs coming in the future, so uh, pay attention to those. Uh, The next review is written by It's Corbas. And it says here that this interview is international, folks. It's coming from Greece. Unless the internet's lying to me, and then I'm going to blame Michael because he sent this stuff to me. And uh, side note, Greece is my favorite magic spell. It's also kind of a lousy musical. Anyway, uh, this review, which is awesome is titled, Worth Every Second of Your Time! Exclamation point. 
Whether you like listening to actual plays or you are looking for player GM advice, this podcast will repay every second spent listening to it. Here you will find everything needed to run your game efficiently, as the host, Michael, and all co-hosts will cover a wide range of topics from solutions to problems you faced or you may face at your table to reviews on other games and utilities. Through the episodes, several other worth-to-listen podcasts are mentioned, so if you are new to RPG podcasts, this is also a great portal to a new world. P.S. If you start listening from the beginning, like I did, keep in mind that the show had a rough start as the hosts were learning through the process, but by all means keep on listening as Michael and all co-hosts keep on getting better and better on each episode until they reach the top. Well, I guess we've reached the top of our performance. There's nowhere else left to go. Should we retire? Well, we're still, we don't have that <laughs> Dread Pirate podcast money, so not yet. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, it's Corbas. Uh, we will continue to improve ourselves, even though we have reached the top. It can only get better from here, hopefully. Maybe it's just going to become terrible. I don't know. We might let you down. But I think we can handle it. Our last review today is from Tiger Raven 1980. That's a pretty cool name. It's it sounds like Tiger Raven 1980. Sounds like a 1980s action movie like uh The Raven or like Knight Rider, you know. Mm. This is like an action hero. Tiger Raven coming in hot. He's a white guy who's mastered the martial arts, but he's totally a white guy. Totally a white guy. And and he has a really awesome girlfriend who gets kidnapped every week. And he's got, like, great hair, oh. like, wavy and black. Oh, yeah. And and he wears an awesome leather jacket with no shirt underneath. Of course. And sunglasses. Mir- mirrored shades. All the time, night or day. And he's got a really good theme song. Yeah. And he wrote us a review. Yay! <laughs> Tiger Raven 1980 left a review titled, The Bee's Knees. So maybe he time travels to the 50s in the course of the show. And then, he come, and then he came back to the future where we have computers and iTunes to write this review. And he writes, I'm assuming it's a he, I apologize. I don't mean to be gender specific, but in the TV show, you're a dude. Yep. The RPG Academy has almost everything you could want from a podcast. Really. The only thing it's lacking is more Caleb, but that's a minor thing. I swear to you, I did not write this. Whether you're a seasoned gamer or just getting into the hobby, the RPG Academy has something for you. Advice, tips, tricks, actual plays, and guest interviews. Really, if you haven't found something that interests you, you just have to listen to one more episode. You know, that's just a great review. That might be my favorite one I've ever read. I can see why. I mean, it's not as good as the ones that called me Matthew, but that's still not a bad one. Hey, I'm a big fan of Matthew. Yeah, he's a, he has his moments. I like his moments. <laughs> okay, so this episode that I was afraid would be too short has now ran too long, because that's just how things work here. Uh, so anyways, thank you all so much for writing those reviews. Again, it really does help us out. It really does mean a lot. And now there's the possibility of something being in it for you as well. Uh, hopefully you listened to the, all the advice and got something out of it that you can use at your table to make your games better. As Caleb said, we want to hear about it. Hit us up on email, on Twitter, on our Facebook page, on our Google Plus page, on the forums on our website. 
you know, don't show up at my house. But other than that, I want to hear about your games and what's going on. And if you have some specific questions that you would like for us to answer on the air or just want some advice on the side, we are always open and available to do that. Please ask us questions so that we can have topics for this show. Yes. Uh, Last note is we both have some new games that we're going to be starting very soon. Uh, In fact, you probably will already have listened to some of mine before you listen to this, as that will be starting next week, which is the Dark Discovery game that I'm running. There will be several episodes released next week back to back to back. And then after that, it's going to go Patreon only. So uh, we do have a Patreon campaign set up. We have a number of patrons that have been supporting us for a while. Uh, We are thrilled and humbled and shocked that that happens. We love all of that. It it helps us do the things that we do here. uh, And we would hope that maybe you'll come and join us uh, for as little as a dollar a month, which I guarantee you will not notice a dollar a month missing. Uh, And at $5 or more, you get access to this Patreon game, uh, which again, you'll get a a teaser preview next week, and then it's going to go dark. (laughs) See what I did there? Uh, And then Caleb is getting ready to start a new game, which which will be on our main feed. We'll be going out. Everyone will get to listen to it. It's called Rot Iron, and uh, there's going to be more and more coming out about it soon. It's probably not going to start till March. It's a very dwarf-heavy-centric campaign in a homebrew world, and we're going to do some articles and some mini-casts about it and kind of expand it as we go. So I'm very excited about both of those, and hopefully you are as well. So if there's nothing else... Nope, I think we're good. All right, this has been Michael. And this is Caleb. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG. Our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>